So when I was foraging around for the mac and cheese tonight that I couldn't find before the service, one of our congregants with a very funny sense of humor came over and said, so have you taken down your tree yet, Rabbi? Which I think is actually kind of a funny thing to say if you're a historic member of the congregation since half the congregation grew up with Christmas trees in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, but it's a period of time um, of the year when we often ask ourselves about our relationship and if people sometimes have a hard time. I think it's more because it's just really dark right now and every religion insists on creating a little bit of light either in our homes or outside in the world because of the darkness. And that question reminded me of two, I think, very funny stories that illuminate um, just that relationship between Jews and Christians at this time of year. The first one was that um, when my son started at preschool here at Temple Emmanuel, there were no other gay families in his class. And so I asked him, I said, do you think there's anything unusual about our family versus the other families in the preschool class? And he said, of course there is. And I said, well, do you want to tell me what you feel is, is different about our family? And he said, well, you know what it is. And I said, I know what it is, but what do you think it is? He said, Grandpa married a Christian. <laughs> now, the weird part about that is that he thought that was weird, coming from where he came from. And um, that was my son, Eli, who, when he was that same year, he um, came to Christmas services with his stepmother, with his nana, um, for the first time, and he sat through the whole service, he really liked the music, and at the very end, they lifted up the chalice of wine, and he stood up on the pew and he said, Baruch Because <laughs> he knew he was supposed to say the Kiddush. So, I, I think it's fair to say that San Francisco is really a city where people can make light of whatever the religious traditions are um, that we share with one another. But I do want to say that uh, I want to add on a little bit to what Rabbi Bauer talked about tonight. About the relationship between Jacob and Joseph. And Joseph was somebody who was able to really bridge the two traditions of being an Egyptian and being a Jew, kind of like being an American and being a Jew. And Rabbi Bauer talked a little bit about what happens in this very emotional time period um, and before, um, when, when you talked about the Shema and the tears, um, there's the Shema and there's the tears, and then when um, Joseph convinces Pharaoh to let him bring his entire family, including his father, to settle them in Goshen, Pharaoh meets Jacob. So Pharaoh, who's kind of a little bit like the father to Joseph, meets Joseph's real father. And um, I think it probably would have been um, not a nice thing if, like, the mothers had met, because the first thing that the Pharaoh asked Jacob is, how old are you? So I guess that was what you did in Egypt. The father meets the, the new father, and he says, how old are you, Jacob? Not, how are you, Jacob? Which is interesting. It's kind of like when we ask people, how are you? Um, what do you usually say? Fine, right? Because what are you going to say on the street or when somebody's passing you by? But in Hebrew, when you ask somebody, how are you, what do you say? Mashlomcha or mashlomech. And that word, when you say, how are you, comes from the root of shalem, which is also shalom, of wholeness. So when you ask somebody on the street in Israel, how are you, you're saying, how's your shalom? How's your peace? How's your wholeness? The Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? And this is what Jacob says to him. The years of my wandering are 130. Few and bad have been the years of my life, and they have not measured up to the lives of my forefathers in the days of their wanderings. 
a famous and brilliant commentator said that that was jo Jacob saying, my life sucks. <laughs> now, the truth is, Jacob's life did kind of suck if you look at it that way. He fled from home when he was very young. He got tricked into marrying his wife's sister-in-law first, the wrong woman. Um, he worked 20 years for Laban, who had tricked him into this. Um, his daughter was abducted, and when he finally tried to settle down in peace, as Rabbi Bauer said, Joseph was taken from him, and for 22 years he thought his son was dead. So those were very bad years for him, and if he looked at his life from that vantage point, yes, his life sucked. But there's a midrash cited by Da'at Zachanim, which is a French medieval compendium for Torah scholars, which puts a language of shock in God's mouth. And God says to Jacob, few and bad? How could you say few and bad? I rescued you from Esau and Levan. I returned your daughter Dina to you. And now Joseph has come back from the dead, literally 22 years later. And now you resent your life and you have the audacity to say, these years have been short and bad. It kind of seems at that point that Jacob's like a glass half empty, kind of a patriarch. And I think it, it brings up for, for us at the end of the year, even though it's in the fall, when we're supposed to do our cheshbon ha-nefesh, we're supposed to do our accounting of our souls, that actually in December, every single year, we are American Jews. And so there's that frenzy in the air. I mean, who doesn't like a sale, right? But there's another frenzy in the air of, it's a really dark time. And it's a time to kind of hunker down and, you know, drink hot cocoa or eggnog if you like it, but to do things that are warming and comforting to your soul. As you look into the darkness, you think back in 2014, what was this year like? And then you project ahead, a little bit like the mi chamocha that we sing. We know what was behind us, but we don't know what's coming up ahead of us. And so today I was reading a little bit about the Torah commentary, and a flash came on the Reform Judaism website, which, which said, the top 10 things that happened to Reform Jews in 2014. <laughs> in no apparent order, so they didn't offend anybody in the list. But I thought, well, I wanna, I wanna think about what is the Reform movement? What, is, what does liberal Judaism look at 2014 and say? Was it a glass half full or a glass half empty year? And so I just pulled a few of them out. Um, the first one was that religious pluralism in Israel made some major headway, and if you didn't know about this, for the first time, um, the, states agreed, the, the state of Israel agreed to pay non-Orthodox rabbis salaries. And that's a huge deal for conservative and reform rabbis who never had their salaries paid by the government. In case you didn't know it, the Israeli government paid for the Orthodox rabbis' salaries until this year, but never reform and conservative. Also this year was the first bat mitzvah at the Western Wall. So women of the wall smuggled in this tiny little Torah, went to the wall, and they held their first ever bat mitzvah. Did you guys hear about that? That was a, that was a really big deal. It was like a micro Torah that they had to smuggle in. Um, also, anybody here ever been in a temple youth group ever in your life? I was the president of my temple youth group, and um, Robert Singer, who's related to some other people in the congregation, he's the president of the youth group this year. We just revitalized our temple youth group, and this year is the 75th anniversary of reformed temple youth groups in this country. So that's been, that's been a long time. Um, Rabbi Rick Jacobs, who is the head of the URJ, was invited by the Presbyterian Church to speak at the convention um, to convince them to vote against the BDS movement. And so it was the first time that a major Jew actually went before the Presbyterian Church's convention um, and tried to convince them not to divest from companies doing business in Israel. 
And he went before all of the Presbyterians, a national convention, it was tens of thousands, and he asked them to engage in partnerships with Israeli-Palestinian um, groups. And that was a very momentous occasion. Unfortunately, the, the um, Presbyterian um, church, to the dismay of many American Jews, um, forged ahead and voted to divest from Israel. But I think that, that, that opening the door to a partnership with Reform Judaism was, was a major deal for us. Um, I also have to say I share with great pride that um, the head of the Religious Action Center um, of Reform Judaism, Rabbi David Saperstein, anybody here heard of him? You're going to hear a lot more about him because um, our president, Barack Obama, has asked him, he was nominated by Obama, to be the first non-Christian ambassador for in international religious freedom. So it's been a Christian until this year, and for the first time there's going to be a rabbi and a Jew who's leading that up. Um, he's also going to head the State Department's Office of International Religious Freedom. That's a very high level um, for a Jew to have attained. Um, and in our own um, state, there was a very big campaign by reform rabbis all over the state called Reform California, and um, I was asked to go and speak with Governor Brown earlier in 2014, and after that, we were able, as a very large group of faith communities, to pass something called the Trust Act. Um, and I can't say that like the Reformed Jews were the only ones who contributed to that passing, but the Trust Act is something in California that made it impossible for um, uh, the police to arrest people um, and to deport them unless they had uh, felonies. It used to be in this state that a police officer could come open your car door, um, look at your license, and you could be deported, whether or not you had anything on your record. So that was a big deal for us. Um, and last but not least, I have to say um, that if you didn't see this on television, I was very proud of the new senior rabbi of Central Synagogue in New York City is a colleague of ours, Rabbi Angela Buchdahl, and she lit the White House menorah this year. And I um, took just a section of what she said um, because Barack Obama asked her if she would um, say a few words. And she said, I have to predict that our founding fathers could not imagine that in 2014 there would be a female Asian American rabbi lighting the menorah at the White House for an African American president. So when I say mixed bag, obviously we could look at a lot of other things that weren't so great, a lot of things that happened in Israel this year. And so we hope and we pray when we sing O Say Shalom that 2015 will be different for the Jewish people in Israel, but also in some ways different for us here, different for the Jews in, Euro in Europe especially. Um, we're working right now with the family members of two congregants who are stuck in France, a Jewish family who cannot get out. Um, and there's a sense of desperation for them. It was terrible, a terrible illumination of what's happening for Jews in Europe. And we hope and we pray that what happens in Israel and what happens in Europe and what happens in terms of anti-Semitism here, because the bridges that we're building do not flourish in 2015, but the bridges flourish between us and our partners. So when Pharaoh asked Jacob how old he was, and he said that, I'm going to choose to talk about the days of my life that were few and bad. I want us to each take the opportunity now that it's the darkest time of the year, we just passed the solstice, and as we're moving towards light, to think about what kind of a year 2015 is gonna be for you and your family. For this community at Temple Emmanuel, there's gonna be a lot of things that change, a lot of newness. We'll have a new rabbi and a new cantor here at this point next year. And to think about our country, to think about Israel, and think about all the inhabitants of this world, and how 2014, even though there were places of darkness, and there were days that were few and were bad, that we work towards the light, 
And each day from this point forward, it gets a little bit more light. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>